May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the sayings you may have heard directed especially against a particular type of Christian who seems to be a little over-enthused about their salvation, a little over-enthused about where their life is headed, goes something like this. They are too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. This was a saying I heard quite often, and it was, as I said, spoken in derision to those maybe Christians who are a little bit more enthusiastic about their faith. After all, we Anglicans are a little bit more subdued. We are a little bit more focused. We're a little bit more practical or pragmatic. We're not given to fits of enthusiasm or fits of charismatic outbursts, or so we tell ourselves. But this idea that people, that Christians can be too earthly-minded to be any earthly good is a problem. It's a problem because it actually is based on a false assumption of what the mission and purpose of Christians is to be about. It sets a false dichotomy between heaven and earth, to be too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good, and that heaven and earth are somehow in conflict with each other, and that to focus at one is to focus, is to focus on one results in the detriment of the other. But this is not the way things are supposed to be, is it? We know from the stories of creation that heaven and earth, God walking among his people, are meant to be a joined whole. Heaven and earth were never meant to be rent apart or separated. But we also know that because of human sin, that heaven and earth are ripped apart. And unfortunately, because of our sinful nature, we tend to see heaven and earth as somehow opposed to each other. But this was the whole point of why Christ came to earth, leaving his heavenly kingdom and coming to live among us to show that the will of God is for heaven and earth to be restored as a united, perfect, seamless reality, to repair that breach that we have so often made in turning our back to God and in focusing on the things of the world. See, the problem is, as Christians, we often become too earthly-minded to be of any heavenly good. You see, we become focused and fixated on becoming a church of causes, that if we have the right cause in mind, if we support the right cause, if we vote a particular way, if we support certain organizations, we will be of so earthly good that God can't help but notice us and pat us on our back for everything that we've done. We become so earthly-minded that we are of no heavenly good. But again, we want to make sure that there's not this dichotomy between heaven and earth. And as I said, Jesus has come to fix that breach. He has come to bring new life and new birth to bring his kingdom here to earth. What does Jesus say so often when he's preaching? The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And he himself is the embodiment of God's heavenly kingdom here on earth. 
So when he says the kingdom of heaven has come near, he literally is talking about himself. He's saying, here in your midst, I am embodying the way that things are supposed to be. The order of heaven has come into earth to put things to rights, to show us and to create what only Christ can do to bring his heavenly kingdom here on earth. But too often, modern Western Christians fall into the trap of thinking that the world is ours to save. As I said, if we do the right things and support the right causes, we roll up the, uh, we, we, we fly particular uh, emblems and flags, if we do all these things that somehow we are saving the world, and we forget that the world is not ours to save because it has already been saved by the one sent from heaven to earth to restore what was and what should be heaven and earth into a seamless reality. You may be wondering why the cross on the altar is covered, why the processional cross that is normally carried by the subdeacon was not brought out today. Well, in the life of the church, this Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Lent, is also called Passion Sunday, where we enter into what is called Passion Tide. Last week, Letary Sunday was a moment of rejoicing as we remember that the victory and the battle are already won, or that the war is already won. We still fight the battles, but the war has already been won. But today, now, we are plunging into the depths of what is the holiest part of the church's calendar. Next week is the beginning of Holy Week, the climax of everything the church says and does as it is recalled in the events, in the commemorations and the memorials of Holy Week. So we cover the cross as we enter into this holiest of weeks to remind us of one simple fact, that without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, Heaven and earth will always be at odds. Without the cross, we are, to be frank and blunt, screwed. The cross of Jesus Christ is that which brings heaven and earth together and restores them to their original goodness, to the way that God intended it to be. Think of what happens on Good Friday when Jesus is on the cross, when that temple, the curtain, that divides the holy, holiest place from the Holy of Holies is ripped apart, symbolizing that the division between heaven and earth is no longer, that heaven and earth through Christ are being restored and reunited. The problem of being too earthly-minded to be too heavenly good is exhibited here in the request of the mother of James and John. Now, if it's any small consolation, this is not the James after which our parish is named. We're named after St. James the Less, or St. James the Younger, St. James the Shorter. Maybe there's a bit of irony in the fact that you have a very tall priest at a, at a guy who is known for being potentially shorter and younger than St. James the Great. So John and James, the sons of Zebedee, their mom comes before, that, before Jesus and says, I want you to do me a favor. I want these two sons of mine to sit at your right hand and your left hand. I want them to be first and second, your right hand and your left hand men in your kingdom. 
The context of this is Jesus has just immediately explained previously to this that he is about to enter into Jerusalem. He is about to be betrayed, about to be suffered and tortured and will die. And his disciples didn't get it. They didn't get it so much so that two of them and their mother came and said, Jesus, great, you're going to Jerusalem to kick out the Romans. Make us number one and two because after all, we deserve it. We followed your cause. We gave up our uh, vocation as fishermen. We've given everything earthly of value to follow you. So now the payback. We deserve this. Because they are too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. And then the other ten hear this. And they're not mad at James and John for the hubris in asking this. They're probably mad because they're thinking, why didn't we ask that ourselves? Shoot. We missed out an opportunity. Now James and John are going to be number one and number two, and the rest of us will kind of get the leavings and the leftovers. We should have asked, because we too, like them, have given so much to follow the way of Jesus. But again, they are too earthly-minded to be of any heavenly good. Their eyes are fixed on climbing some social ladder of success. They're following some calculation of what worldly power looks like. And they want it for themselves. And Jesus has to remind them, no, that is how the kingdoms of the world work. Where those that are in power lord it over those who are under their power. That is not how the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven, as someone once said, is an upside down kingdom. It takes the kingdoms of the world and flips them over. And it says, if you want to be great, you have to be small. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. Runs completely against the grain of how the earth operates, of how the world and its kingdoms operate. Because Jesus has come to restore the breach between heaven and earth. He has come to set up his heavenly kingdom here in our midst. And this is what we are waiting for. This is why, as Christians, we have a calling too. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the poor, the sick, and the dying, to care for the widow, the orphan, and the alien within our gates. But we do this because our eyes are fixed on heaven, not because we think that we can fix the world by our own efforts, because we can't, and because the world has already been saved. So we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on the cross, to be reminded that he is the one who repairs the breach. So when we veil the cross, we are reminded that without it, we are stuck. But with it, heaven has come into our midst. Because we know the story. Jesus has died, he has risen, he has ascended, and he will come again. And what will his coming again look like? We see it in Revelation 21 and 22 where St. John the Evangelist is given a vision of what the final state of our world will look like. And it's a beautiful vision of heaven coming to earth. Of Christ bringing his saints and angels with him and says, we will make our home here. And God will be in the midst of us. But the only way that that makes any sense to us. The only way is to receive this by faith. Not to become so earthly minded that we cannot see 
the heavenly goods that Christ has won for us. So none of this is to say we shouldn't continue in the works of mercy, in the works of love, but we should do so with the effort of not changing our world, but of changing ourselves. This inner transformation that Lent is about is reminding us that our Christian life is a continual call to conversion, to continually be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, because he is the savior of the world. He is the one who brings heaven and earth together. So let us be so heavenly minded that we are of great earthly good. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith, so that we may then follow in his way, the way of mercy and compassion, the way of service and love. Thanks be to God.